and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks this morning that you have sent Jesus to us to heal us, to save us, to set us free. Lord, we come to you today from a world that is filled with bondage and hurt and pain, and we pray that you would teach us, Lord, how to be your agents of love and mercy in this world, even as you have shown us your love and your mercy. But now, Lord, grant us your Holy Spirit as we hear your word and guide us so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name. When you hear the title, The Good Samaritan, what comes to mind? Or or maybe better said, who comes to mind? What sort of person do you think of when you think about the Good Samaritan? My guess is that we think of somebody doing some sort of random act of kindness, right? Like you see a car broken down on the side of the road and somebody goes out of their way to pull over and help the person out who is in need. Or uh, Boy Scouts helping uh, little old ladies cross the street. Or, or church members noticing that their pastor's car hasn't been washed in a very long time and taking it upon themselves to go and wash that car. That's what good Samaritans do. Amen. That was a short sermon. That worked out pretty good. Just kidding. Don't wash my car. But I do think uh, when we think about the good Samaritan, our heads go to random acts of kindness. Now, random acts of kindness are good. They're important. Quite frankly, we need a lot more random acts of kindness uh, in our world right now, which seems to be so torn apart and growing more and more bitter uh, in these days. Uh, We do need more random acts of kindness. Uh, They're good. They're heartwarming. They're inspiring. They're helpful. They're the right thing to do. When you see somebody in need, it's important for you to go out of your way and help that person out. However, When Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan, I don't think he's telling us to commit random acts of kindness and helpfulness. I don't think that that is why Jesus tells us this parable today. And in fact, I don't think Jesus tells us this parable so that we can think more about how we can be doing more random acts of kindness. So, So the question I want us to think about today as we go through the parable is who should I be thinking about? In light of this parable, who does this parable point me toward? Now, before we get into the parable, I'm going to do a little bit of background work to help you understand the setting uh, setting in which Jesus tells this parable. It's going to take a little bit of time, so, so bear with me, but there's a lot of important things we need to think about as we arrive at this parable. First, this parable is told in Luke's Gospel. And at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been going around and he's been doing a lot of wonderful things. He's been teaching that he has ushered in the reign of God into the presence of these people. He's forgiving sins, he's healing diseases, he's casting out demons, and he's teaching people how to follow God's will. It's a wonderful thing. And as Jesus is doing this, he's gaining quite a following. But you might say it this way, the people who are following Jesus are, quote unquote, all the wrong people. It's the poor, it's the marginalized, it's the uneducated. It's it's those who you're probably not going to invite over for dinner that Jesus wants to have dinner with. Tax collectors and sinners. And these are the people who are listening to Jesus, these are the people who are trusting Jesus and following him. 
On the flip side, the people who should get it, uh, the theologians, uh, uh, the seminary professors, the pastors, the powerful religious leaders, uh, the wealthy people in the culture, everybody who's successful in getting it right, they're not listening to Jesus. They doubt him and they don't trust him. And so this is creating quite a divide among the people who are listening to Jesus. Well, Jesus, realizing this, one day has this wonderful little prayer that he prays in front of everybody. He says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, the things that I'm teaching and doing, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. It's a very sweet prayer for little children and for all the people who are getting it. Uh, but the prayer is also a very nice dig at the, the powerful, wealthy pastors and, and church leaders and all this kind of stuff, the theologians. So they're pretty put off by this. They're upset by Jesus' comment. I don't know if you know this about uh, uh, theological people, like pastors and such, but they don't like being talked back to. They don't like being put in their place, even <laughs> by Jesus. And so there's one man among the crowd who is a lawyer. Now, not a lawyer who like, goes to court to fight for people, but more of like a, a, someone who is an expert in the law of the Bible, an expert on the Old Testament command. He's what you might call a theological lawyer, which is frankly the most terrifying phrase in the English language. He hears Jesus say this, and he's upset, so he wants to kind of pick a fight with Jesus. So he comes to Jesus, and here's the encounter. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, already there's a couple things worth pointing out in this conversation. Uh, Luke is a very uh, uh, brilliant author in the way he writes. And the way he sets the stage by saying that the man came to put Jesus to the test, it's only the second time in his gospel he's used that phrase. This is the only the second person in Luke's gospel to put Jesus to the test. The other person to do it uh, was the devil, <laughs> when Jesus was in the wilderness. In other words, Jesus, or, uh, Luke is letting you know this, this religious leader, this lawyer, is not coming to Jesus on neutral terms. He's challenging Jesus. He doubts Jesus. He wants to undermine and discredit the Lord. Further, what's interesting here is the way in which he sort of asks and answers the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what does the law say to you? Now, when Jesus says the law there, we've got to do a little bit of work here, so I hope you bear with me. But when we refer to the law there, Jesus isn't saying something like this. What are the instructions or the rules that are written in the Bible? When he says the law, he's referring to the Torah. The law is a technical term for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? So when Jesus asked him the question, how do you read the law? He's saying, how do you understand the first five books of the Bible? What do you think the first five books of the Bible would teach you in terms of inheriting eternal life? Now, as you go to read the first five books of the Bible, what do you find there? Are there laws and commands and rules? Yeah, like a lot of them. But that's not all that's there. In fact, when you read the first five books of the Bible, you realize it's actually a story. It's a historical account of what God has done 
It's the account of how God created everything, how humanity ruined God's creation with their sin, okay? and how God decided by his grace not to bind humanity to death, but to send forth a Messiah or a Savior who is going to forgive and save his creation. God decides to do this by selecting one particular family or nation from this world. He chooses a man by his grace named Abraham. Now, what did Abraham do to deserve this decision? Nothing. He was a pagan sinner. And God chose him to bring forth the Messiah from his family line. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From Jacob's descendants, uh, we get the tribe of Judah eventually, and then it's from the tribe of Judah that Jesus comes. But the whole story is really about God's gracious choice to save Abraham and Israel and to give them all of these wonderful gifts by his grace alone. This is a weak sinful nation that keeps rebelling against God, uh, that keeps getting thrown into slavery, that keeps having all of these problems, and God remains patient and faithful to them. It's an account of God's grace for God's people. And then, when God is gracious towards his people, he gives these commands to say, now that grace that I have shown you is to be reflected in your lives. You were to show grace to others, both in your community and even outside of your community, just as I have shown grace you. If you really want to summarize the Torah, it's very helpful to think about uh, 1 John, where John has this wonderful line where he says, we love because he first loved us. This is the story of God's love for his people, and then his call for us to show, or his call to Israel to show that love to the rest of the world. That's how you should read the law. But this is not how the theological lawyer read the law. He reads the Torah in legalistic terms. He reads it as a book of rules that he is to obey if he wants to inherit eternal life. For him, God is not gracious, but exacting. And God gives to his people a checklist of actions that they are to carry out if they want to be right in the eyes of God, if they want to earn eternal life. So when he says to Jesus, the law tells me to love God perfectly and to love my neighbor as myself, what he's doing is he's pulling out the list and he's saying, here's the things I have to do. Now, Jesus says, on paper, you've given the right answer. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, that's what eternal life will be. The lawyer's not satisfied. The lawyer wants to prove Jesus wrong. And he wants to prove that he has deserved eternal life. So he asks this question. Desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, that question is very interesting if you think of the law in terms, uh, in, in legalistic terms. If you think of the law in legalistic terms, it means this. Here's what you do, and here's what you don't have to do. Here's what you have to accomplish, and here's what you can get away with. So when he asks this question, he's asking the question like this. Who do I have to love, and who am I allowed to avoid? Who can I leave behind? And he believes that according to the law, there are people in this world that he doesn't have to love, that he can avoid and, and leave alone, and in fact should leave alone. So he's trying to catch Jesus in his word. Okay, there's your background. Now we're going to start the sermon. You're welcome. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Now we finally uh, get to the parable here today. And so we arrive at this parable, and Jesus says, okay, you want to justify yourself to me? That's never a good plan with Jesus, but all right. Here we go. And so he starts in on this parable. He says, there is a man coming down from Jerusalem, which means 
very likely that he was a Jewish man. He's leaving Jerusalem, coming down, going back towards his home, wherever that may be, and he's mugged. He's beaten by some robbers. They take everything from him. They strip him, and they leave him uh, dying in a ditch on the side of the road. And as the man lays there dying, three people pass by him. The first two are very significant. The first one is a Levite. A Levite, that is sort of one of the, the chief priestly caste of people in Israel. The second one is also a priest. So here are two men who are experts on the law, who know God's law like the back of their hand, and who have the responsibility of carrying out God's law on behalf of all Israel. One of their jobs is to go into the temple and to offer up sacrifices. Now, if a priest, according to the law, touches a dead body, they are rendered ritually unclean and they cannot go into the temple for a number of days. They have to go through a purification process uh, and get sort of the uncleanliness from the dead body off of them. Now, that's what the law says. But it turns out this man in the ditch is not dead. He's dying. He's not completely dead, as Monty Python might say. He's lying there dying. But the priest and the Levite don't take the time to even check. They're more worried about keeping their checklist clean than they are about showing compassion to the man who is suffering and dying. So they don't go to look at him. In fact, they pass all the way to the other side of the road so they might avoid him and avoid, you know, his uncleanliness. They don't want to get his uncleanliness all over themselves. They don't want to help the wrong person. They want to be right more than they want to love. They want to abide by their ritualistic legalism. And they don't want to show compassion. So these experts on the law don't get the law at all. Then comes the third person. And this one is shocking and offensive to the Jewish mindset. Then comes a Samaritan. Here was someone, we might say, who is outside of the law by the Jewish standards. The, the, the Samaritans and the Jews had a great deal of hatred towards each other, and I guarantee you, it went both ways. Both of those people despised each other. The Jewish people would say that you don't associate with Samaritans. Being around Samaritans is also something that is going to render you unclean. If you want to know who you don't have to love, the Jews would say you don't have to love the Samaritans. And I guarantee you, the Samaritans had the same attitude towards the Jews. In fact, my guess is if the Samaritans were anything like the Jews, uh, dealing with the Jews and touching the Jews would also render them unclean. So here comes this Samaritan. And the Samaritan sees the man lying in the ditch. And notice what he does. This is wonderful. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come. So the Samaritan sees the man suffering and dying in there and has no concern whatsoever about the rituals and the legalisms and all this kind of stuff. He tears up the checklist, goes over to the man to help him out. He binds up his wounds and then pours on oil and wine. Now, this is interesting. Just a quick side note here. I never knew this before. But in the ancient world, oil and wine would be used for, for multiple things. But two of the things they were used for, one was for medical purposes in, in healing wounds. And another purpose was for, for sort of ritual sacrifices. 
you would use them in the process of sacrificing. Now notice the order the guy goes in here. He binds the wound first, and then he puts on the oil and wine. Why does that matter? He's using stuff that should be used for sacrifice for love. God says in the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so here, this guy uses the stuff for sacrifice for the sake of mercy. He heals the man. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to a place where he can uh, recover and be restored. He pays for the room and the board. He gives him his livelihood back and pays for all of it. He's not concerned about being right. He's concerned about his neighbor. So, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? This is one of those questions that if you get it wrong, you're just not paying attention. He says, the man says, Luke doesn't say this, but you can read it this way. The man replied, grinding his teeth and staring at the ground and kicking the dirt. The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Okay, so far the parable. Now this brings us back then to our initial question. When you think of the Good Samaritan, who are you to think about? Who should you be thinking of? when you think of Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. I'm going to give you three answers today, three potential answers. The first one we're going to say is kind of okay, but it's not really a great answer. We might call it the bad answer. The second answer will be a better answer, and the third answer will be the best answer. Okay? The first answer, which we're going to call the bad answer, is uh, you should not think about yourself when you hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. Your focus should not be on yourself. Because if you think about yourself, you start to read the parable and you go like this. Am I the Good Samaritan? In other words, do I love my neighbor the way the Good Samaritan loved that dying man? Or better said, you say something like this. Do I love my neighbor enough? Am I a good enough Samaritan? This is the way that Pharisees and legalists would hear this parable thinking it's all about what they have to do and wondering if they are enough. Do they love their neighbor enough? Do they help the poor enough? Do they do enough to be pleasing in the eyes of God? And if you deal with the parable this way, the answer is always going to be no. Because when you deal in terms of law and legalism, nothing is ever enough. And it's like going to a wealthy person and saying, do you have, how much more money do you need? And they say, nothing is ever enough. The law is never satisfied by what we do. And so if you read it this way, dealing in the economy of enough, this parable just leaves you for dead. And that's why it's not an entirely bad answer. Because this parable did really, uh, sort of in a spiritual sense, kill that lawyer and expose the fact that there was nothing he could do, that he wasn't enough to justify himself to Jesus. Because here's the thing, guys, you can never justify yourself to Jesus. So I don't think we want to think merely about ourselves and are we good enough Samaritans. So then who should we be thinking? Well, I think a better answer comes to us when we notice the way Jesus sets the parable up. The question is a sort of enough legalistic question from the religious leader. He says, Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love and who can I avoid? Jesus says, you're missing the point entirely. If you look at the Good Samaritan, who is he focused on in the parable? 
He's focused on the dying. See, that's who you should be thinking of, perhaps, when you hear this parable. Not focusing on yourself if you are enough, but focusing on the one in your life who needs you to love them. Jesus says the point of the the law that says love your neighbor as yourself is not to ask yourself the question, do I love enough? The point of the law is to say your neighbor needs your help and you're responsible for taking care of that neighbor. The lawyer seems to think there are only certain people who are his neighbor, and Jesus just dismisses this thing completely. He says, listen, there are no wrong people to love. There are no wrong people to love. Anyone and everyone who is hurting, suffering, dying, guilty, despised by the culture, despised by the church... (laughs) The right color, the wrong color, the right or wrong side of the political aisle. All of them are created in the image of God. And all of them are neighbors whom the Lord Jesus has called you to serve and called you to love. This parable then serves to focus you in on your neighbor who is in need. Love, after all, is the fulfillment of the law. Not legalistic purity. So that's a better answer. That when we hear this parable, we need to recognize that Christ has sent us into this world to love people as he has loved us. And that then gets us to what I think is the best answer when we think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because remember, this is a conversation about how one interprets the Torah. This is a conversation about how one interprets the law. And what did we say at the beginning? The Torah is the account of how God loves a helpless, needy, sinful people. And what do we see the Good Samaritan doing? Loving and helping a needy, sinful guy, we might say, lying in the ditch. Someone who is suffering and in need. This parable is a perfect picture of the way in which our God loves us. This is a perfect, beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done to save you. Who's the good Samaritan? It's Jesus. Jesus is your good Samaritan. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so Jesus comes to show mercy by giving his life as a sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Jesus finds you and I dead and dying, or dead and dying, both of those things, uh, in a ditch, (laughs) suffering because of our sin, suffering because of the burdens of the world around us, needing help and needing love, not able to do anything for ourselves. And so what does he do? Jesus comes and he picks us up, taking all of our impurities upon himself. He heals us of the, the wounds that we have caused and that others have caused by his mercy and his grace. He carries us uh, to his home where he lays us down on a bed so that we might be healed and he pays the price with his own blood so that we have a place where we are healed and redeemed and set free forever. He saves you. He heals you. He forgives you. He pays everything necessary for everlasting life. So that if you want to justify yourself to Jesus, the best thing for you to do is to be helpless and dead. (laughs) You're finally in a position Be saved by the Lord. That was the problem with the lawyer. He thought he was really... He thought he didn't see himself 
as the man who was dying in the ditch. But he was. So are you, and so am I. But Jesus is your good Samaritan. So that when you hear about good Samaritans, you think of Jesus, who has saved you from the ditch, forgiven all of your sins, and given you everlasting life. He is your good Samaritan. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for your word, which is deep and rich and draws us in and points us to your Son, Jesus. We pray this day, O Lord, that you would teach us constantly to trust in you, knowing that you are our good Samaritan, who heals and saves us. Now, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to love as you have loved us, always knowing that your love for us is unfailing. In Jesus' name we pray.